Do you hold the belief that the human body carries our stories, emotions, and traumas, and that it has the ability to heal itself? Are you interested in deepening your understanding of your whole self? Are you excited by the idea of engaging in a living dialogue with a sense of wonder and curiosity? Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, Science and Stories, a series of casual conversations about what it is to live in a body. Expect tons of stories and the occasional science lesson. Even science can be told as a story. I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. And I am Teresa Toman Macy. We are your hosts for Anecdotal Anatomy. Welcome back to Anecdotal Anatomy. Oh, I love saying that. Welcome back. And for those of you who are new, welcome, welcome. Welcome to our community. Welcome to our conversations. Today, we're talking about our bliss sheath, the deepest, deepest part of our beings, depending on the diagram you look at. But in terms of just the feeling, you know, think for a moment, like when you hear the word bliss, what comes up for you? Is there something that a moment, a thing, you know, that feeling of bliss? Because that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Right, Teresa? Right. We, we're going to go a lot deeper than, you know, this feeling of bliss. What does that really mean? I found it a little bit like I did a lot of self-study, a lot of sitting with this concept of bliss to really conceptualize and to move beyond. Oh, I just had this really great blissful day. It feels to me a little bit like a conversation that I've had about joy and happiness. You know, that happiness, as my dear friend Shauna and our going to be our first guest, our next on the next episode, she's going to be our guest, but she's a really brilliant thinker. And one of the things that we were talking about at one point was this, she does a lot of work with joy, but that happiness, the root of the word, you know, happenstance, like it's circumstantially motivated, that you know, circumstances are good and we can be happy. But that joy, this deep sense of joy pervades all of that. And even in a time of sadness, there can be a sense of joy. I read a book years ago about Dionysius, the god of wine and um, you know, decadence. And um, that conversation was also had. So this bliss sheath is more the experience of bliss, like joy would be the experience. And that blissful feeling might be more fleeting. And both of them are impermanent. Both of them come and go. They're you know, pretty porous. You know, you took the words right out of my mouth. You know, I found it interesting as we started speaking today that both of us really resonated. And, you know, I visited many websites, uh, different people talking about Anandamaya Kosha. That's what we're talking about today. And that's one I can actually pronounce. Like, I feel <laughs> like I'm not going to butcher it. Anandamaya Kosha. It's, it rolls off the tongue. It does. <laughs> and it sounds so blissfully beautiful. Anandamaya Kosha. Mm. Something I wrote in my notes was bliss equals being. And so we're human beings. And that takes us beyond this physical form. You know, whenever I think of being, maybe I even go into like this sci-fi imagery of what that that might look like. But these rare occasions when we find ourselves just being uninhibited, and that's That's going to be my story, I think, since you really did a beautiful lead into the definition of Anandamaya Kosha, the one we can pronounce, and this idea of, you know, just blissful expression that is unplanned and 
exuberant. You know, you've heard me use that word about Siva, and I'll come back to that in a little bit. But I did want to tell a story as uh, to start with. And if you listen to our last episode, I talked about broccoli. So if you haven't listened to episode four, the broccoli story is what I'm referencing to, I'm referencing here. In the editing process, going back and listening to me discuss <laughs> this broccoli story, and I'm not gonna go into the whole thing because you can listen to it back there. But in the editing process, when I got to that point, I broke out in spontaneous, uncontrolled <laughs> laughter. It just kind of welled up inside me. And I kept wanting to say something, you know, and nobody was there to listen anyway. But I was just laughing. And you got a vox from me. Um, <laughs> and that laughter was contagious. I heard your laughter and I felt the bliss. I, well, I felt bubbles of joy inside me listening to you laugh. Uh, I think it was just so timely when I'm thinking about what I'm going to talk about of bliss and this uncontrolled laughter just escapes and lots of things happened after it was finished. I tried to share the experience with you and laugh through half of it. So I got to share that laughter. I shared it with my sister this morning. We were having a conversation and I told her my broccoli story and, but more the uncontrollable laughter and just how, um, I don't even know that I want to wor use the word healing. I just might want to change that to how being it felt, <sighs> how being. And so she shared one of her stories that just broke her up into uncontrollable <laughs> laughter. And the two of us still continue to have this shared moment of bliss, sharing our stories of uncontrollable laughter. And it's the uncontrollable piece that is so brilliant because it, we can't witness the bliss. We have to be in the bliss. And so because you weren't thinking about it, you weren't witnessing it, you were just in it. Like that is the integration of all of the work that we've gotten to to this point, it feels like. You know, when we say it's the integration of everything, we kind of... I. There's this, again, we'll go back to Maya and illusion, right? There's this illusion that this bliss is the, the innermost or the outermost layer in whatever you're looking at it, this thing that is um, kind of elusive and small and unable to touch really easily. But I think it's more about mindfully recognizing that these moments touch in, right? They can be elusive. They can be fleeting. But once you feel that, where you're in that experience, when it happens again, you know it. And you know it because it is so hard to communicate that information to someone else. Right. You can't say, my sister and I were uncontrollably laughing and have people have that experience unless they're uncontrollable and they feel the bliss. When I tell the story, now it's a story that has to come to words. And the feeling of bliss has no words. It, Yet when people hear your story, they may not be feeling that bliss in that moment, but they may remember a moment where they have a story of bliss. And that might just bring a warm feeling inside. 
you know, that is the feeling of bliss without being this bliss sheath necessarily that can be pulled away. I mean, this is, these come from a yogic tradition. And so, you know, in the center of it all, when we peel that away, you know, there are other teachings that get more deep into the Dharma and, but that's, we're not going that deep here. We're just, you know, touching on these sheaths so that we can, you know, relay an experience and you know give tools to be able to recognize and witness our own experiences maybe with a different language maybe with you know a different way of thinking sometimes when i'm stressed i feel like i'm stuck in an inhale like you're like ah, right and you know this idea that maybe i go around do my daily activity someday with maybe uh, some stress or some anxiety or worrying or, or just preparing and being busy and over um, committed mm-hmm. can sometimes feel like I'm stuck in this inhale. But in those times, I find the simplicity of just this long releasing exhale. Yeah. <sighs> to just be that little moment of bliss. And for me, if it can happen outside in nature, uh, that's the bonus, that's the <laughs> bonus. To just be with the trees and the animals and nature or on the beach with the waves rolling in, sitting there almost alone. Last year, I spent a lot of time alone on a beach. Um, I was in South Carolina and there was very few people. So you could, I could go for a walk on the beach. Some mornings it was so misty and, you know, it was hard to tell where the ocean ended and the sky began. I sound like Forrest Gump, but um, (laughs) (laughs) because the mist and the water, they met and I could sit there and hear the waves rolling in with not a soul around and that slow releasing exhale and just being, Um, I don't know, just letting it all go. You said it already, just being. And that's what this is. You know, we both um, resonated pretty strongly with the yogasanctuary.biz website. And uh, I'd like to quote from the website before I tell my story of Anandamaya Kosha. Um, So this is, I'm quoting from the Yoga Sanctuary website. And I should probably put my glasses on, that would be helpful. Striving to reach Anandamaya Kosha is a futile attempt, for it is only revealed when we release any form of mind control over it. Anandamaya is not of the mind. It is a deeper experience than that which can be contemplated. Even describing it in words is not completely accurate. The bliss of a child fully immersed in the moment, that is Anandamaya. And this is where the lead in that I want to use for my story, which I had a really hard time thinking of something. I know that I've had the moments, but because of that pure beingness, sometimes it's it's hard to remember those particular moments. Like I remember one Shavasana early on where I felt like I transcended, but that's another story. This one goes back to my NYU days. And, you know, I went to NYU for acting. So I was in the Tisch program and it was, it was wonderful, but I stopped. I think I mentioned this in another episode, but two and a half years in, I opted out of the studio work and I was in the school of nursing and health professionals, CNAP, not as a, as a degree program, but I took a class in drama therapy through that school at NYU and the professor, Robert Landy, who I haven't thought about in years, 
He wrote a musical of the Odyssey when he was in Greece many, many, many years ago. So he decided to produce it at NYU through the School of Education, um, Nursing and Health Professionals, not through Tisch. So the only show that I actually ever did at Tisch on a stage it wasn't even a stage, it was in a room, it was through CNAP, not even through Tish. But yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't a click in any of the clicks there. I was, you know, I was deadhead. But anyway, so I am in the course, I'm doing these other little things for the show. And the person who they have cast for Circe, the siren, they have to keep recasting her because someone got sick, or I forget all the circumstances. But it got to me, they wanted to cast me as Circe. And I was so excited. I was like, I can totally do this. But the director, who was, you know, I guess had some acting background, but, you know, I was coming from Tish. Come on. She would get up there and she would show me exactly how she wanted me to do Cersei. And none of it resonated with me. I couldn't. I, I Every rehearsal, I knew that people had no faith in me, that I would get up there trying to reproduce what this director wanted me to do for this part. And that's not my process. That's not my creative experience. And so every time during the, the rehearsals, I would fall short. I had no confidence. I felt really, really low in, in that moment. But I part of me knew that, you know, once I'm on that stage, let's see what happens. So night of the show, I told all my friends, by the way, not to come because I was so embarrassed by what could potentially be <laughs> a big flop. So I didn't have courage. I was like, don't come, don't come. I really don't want you to come. And no one came, but I had some friends in the show. So, you know, that was fun. <laughs> so I get up there, I'm in the room and I have no director telling me how she wants me to do it. I have no one, once I'm up there and there's an audience, they're not gonna come on and tell me to do it again. So I did it my way. And I fully, fully inhabited this character. I didn't even know I had it in me. I was being Cersei. I mean, I, I've been accused of being a siren in the past. Um, that's another whole episode. Maybe not even for this podcast. But it was a moment where I was, I was Cersei. I was that character. There was, I mean, I wasn't having a psychotic break. I knew that I was still me. But it was such a, an integration and a moment where, I no longer had to witness what someone else expected of me. I could just be. And it was so liberating and so wonderful. And when I was, I was actually coming in to set my computer up to do this recording, and that story came back into my head. And I thought, there's a reason why that just downloaded into my, into my mind. So, you know, coming from Manamaya and Vignanamaya, that here we have you know, the mind while this bliss sheath is not the mind, you know, it, it all has some sort of narrative around it. And that was just, it was a fun memory to have. We, you know, we talk a lot about narratives and it is really hard to form a narrative that communicates bliss. It, this is our feeling of um, something that is, it touches us so deeply for a whole variety of different ways, that even in the telling of our stories, it's difficult for people to conceptualize this complete bliss. So I'm wondering, as people are listening, right, what stories are coming into your head? What is this resonating with? What memories are coming up? Or maybe more so, what feelings or emotions? are coming up and what are they linked to in, in your life? So um, 
Yeah. The transition, I think, of us being able to feel again. Sometimes I feel like life is so busy that we are going through our life, we're going through activities, we're going through our um, to-do lists. And we can fall into these habitual patterns of just getting it done. But then something interrupts enough for us to sit back and recognize that we are so immersed in whatever that activity is. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know. Well, some people call it flow state. You know, there's a flow state. Um, that your runners can get there's you know you sort of get to a point you hit the wall you keep going but you're you're just so invested and you know I'm sure that there are other stories that that um, bring this in you know we're complicated beings we're we're humans we're filled with contradictions so while this bliss sheath can't be um, narrated it can't doesn't have words to explain it we still try to explain it. We still create a narrative. And the narrative may have, have preceded the experience or you know, exceeded it. So that moment that we're in it is the, the experience of beingness. But then we spend time trying to understand it, to return to it. There, uh, I will be putting in the show notes a book by my um, teacher, David Nick Turn, who is my mindfulness teacher, talks about the different you know, realms, like the God realm and um, how we it's it's the buddhist wheel and how you know we sometimes when we're in one state we just we spend so much time trying to return to that rather than being in that next place where we are and this is where the language then becomes that goes back to your quote that we can't think our way into bliss we it's not a thinking thing it's a somatic it's a it's a felt sense and it's not permanent and it's not permanent what is. So I liked what you were talking about when you uh, were referencing Shauna and the state of joy and all the joy and happiness work that she does. You know, I've talked about Siva here in the podcast a couple of times. She's even introduced herself with some barking (laughs) in the background. Yes. And Siva is a miniature Labradoodle, white. And I say her name Siva But in Sanskrit, again, we're going back to pronunciation. Her name is Seva. You know, it's still spelt S-E-V-A, but I call her Seva. But Seva is service for the pure joy of service. And when I, on my very first ride with Seva, taking her home and bringing her to her new forever home, While I was driving, I was having a conversation with this cute little exuberantly happy puppy. And she was just like all full of adventure. I had her in this little box in the front seat and she was, you know, had her paws up on the edge of the box, looking out the window. You could just see that she was going to be a companion and a friend that just loved to get out into the world, to see things, to have adventures. Um, and to exuberantly greet every being that she met. And if you've ever met Siva, <laughs> when you see her for the first minute and a half, her ta- what tail is wagging. She wants to jump up all over you. If she greets you on the street or we see the animals out on the farm, her leash 
has no slack left in it. She's like, come on, Teresa, hurry up. We got to get over there and see that person, that horse, that thing. Come on, let's have some enthusiasm here. And so she is a constant reminder that uh, every moment can have this level of bliss. And even her bliss is fleeting because after she's greeted that being, that person, she's going to sit down and or curl up uh, at their feet or go over and lay down in her bed. And maybe that's just a different expression of her bliss. Like, oh, I got to say hi. I'm just going to go be by myself for a little bit. So she definitely is a visual reminder of what bliss looks like. Oh, that, and animals will do that because they don't have the self-consciousness or the, the witness piece necessarily. I was thinking about, you know, the word bliss and who's the most famous person to use the word bliss is Joseph Campbell. Follow your bliss. And in the sense of pursuit, like, can we really follow our bliss? I don't know. I mean, I think that in the context, in this context, and, you know, everything is contextual. And so for this purpose... I don't know that we can pursue the bliss, but I think that if we experience that full beingness, rather than trying to recreate it, the, the pursuit is curiosity. The pursuit is recognizing when it comes back again. And maybe we talk a lot about patterns here, noticing the patterns that create the conditions that allow bliss, those blissful moments to, to thrive. And so that's just, that's a curiosity. Many, many years ago, sometime, I think in the earlier mid nineties, again, last century, I was really the whole decade of the 1990s. I was obsessed with the King Arthur legend. One of my very dear friends, Stacy, had recommended the book Miss of Avalon. And I read it like in 1989 or 1990. And that just put me on a path of like, I had met a woman down at the uh, Southern Oral History Association Conference. That's another whole story why I was there. But she was a professor from a small Midwestern college. And I had just finished reading Miss of Avalon. And I asked her, I said, is there any book? I said, have you read it first? And she said, yes. So, I mean, this was as far as a reading experience as close to bliss as I think I've ever come. And um, I said, can you, I asked her, can you recommend anything that would, that I could follow that story with that would be satisfying? And she looked at me and she said, you didn't want to come back, did you? And I said, no, I didn't want to come back. So there was that feeling of being fully immersed in this, this fictional tale. But what that did was it gave me a purpose. And I, I had studied and I read almost, I read all of the Mary Stewart and the Bernard Cromwell. And I just went off and I read all of these books. And then I was at work one day. And I was just sort of putzing around on the computer. And it was before Google, but we still had the internet. And um, I found something about the Joseph Campbell Foundation and that every Halloween weekend or at Halloween time, they would have these conferences. So I didn't really even think about it. I bought myself an Amtrak ticket to go down to D.C. I didn't know anyone who was going. I didn't know anyone who was obsessed as I was with mythology and not all mythology, particularly Arthur lore. But I thought to myself, I'll either meet, you know, a bunch of academics, maybe a bunch of freaks, a bunch of people like me who sort of embody all of the freak and academic piece together. And that's spelled P-H-R-E-A-K. Um, so I got on the train and I went down there and 
that weekend, I mean, we toasted to Joseph Campbell with his favorite whiskey. And, you know, we had this whole, I met some incredible people. There was a guy, what's his name? He writes these beautiful, well, he wrote them. His Galt McDermott, um, he's the guy from Hair. <laughs> The musical air. I want to say, make, um, I'll find it. I'll put it in the show notes. Let me make a note. So I trickster guy. He would travel the world and illustrate and write these books on trickster tales from around the world. Oh my God. He was so amazing. And we created a really nice friendship for that weekend. This the only reason I'm telling this part of the story is that this is part of the impermanence. This is part of touching the bliss moment, acknowledging it and letting it go. So we had no need to continue some, you know, relationship outside of this container, but it was so perfect. It was an alchemy We two total strangers. He liked my boots. I was wearing these ankle high black little spiky boots. And that's how the conversation started. And it wasn't flirty. I mean, there were, I wasn't married, but he was, and there was no, there was no, you know, chemistry that way. But this is only to say that you can have that kind of moment with someone that doesn't mean anything other than what that moment was. And, and it was beautiful and it was academic and freaky and story and everything that we're doing here. It was beautiful. I tried to get in touch with his wife also when I, I Googled him just a couple of years ago to see if he, Gerald McDermott, I think his name was Gerald. And I tried to get in touch with her because I wanted to let her know how that moment with her husband in this really crazy time meant something and that I was sorry to hear of his, of his death. I don't think I ever got in touch with her though. I couldn't find her. What a great story of like these chance, well, chance meetings, chance interactions. You know, we've all had a similar moment where for no, for like a random what or what feels like, I don't really believe in randomness, but what feels like a random meeting of somebody. Uh-huh. And in the briefest of that interaction, something amazing happens. We may never see that person again. We may have no other time in our life where we're ever together. And I always wonder, I don't believe in randomness. You know, I was what at one time I was trying to get into my car. And and it was, I think it was about this time. It was in the holiday season, parking lots were full. And I arrive at my car and I'm coming up to the driver's door. Mm-hmm. And there's a woman who, and we're parked um like nose to tail in the opposite direction. So we're driver's side to driver's side. And she comes around her car to come to her driver's door. And I'm coming around mine to get to my driver's door. And we both wind up at the door so that we cannot each open the door. One of us has to wait for the other. And so I begin to take this step back. And she says, can we just stop here for a moment? And I said, sure. And I stopped and I hesitated and she just stood there for a moment and hesitated. And then she said, "Ah, I just really wanted to experience that moment because we came into the same space in what appeared to be so random, but yet we both wound up standing right next to each other in the middle of a holiday season for what, what might look like no apparent reason whatsoever. But I think we just needed to feel each other's energy and just like 
be in this shared experience for even just a breath or two. And then she got in her car, I got in my car, and we both went on our way. So that might seem like this not very significant story, but this is like five, six years after it happened. But I remember that moment. Um, and so many other mo moments must have happened at that day, um, whatever store I was in. But none of those moments stayed with me, except for this breath or two with a random stranger so that we could both just experience the same space for a brief moment. I think that's, that's blissful. Beautiful. That's so beautiful. And, you know, whether or not anyone actually witnessed that from outside, you know, I was thinking about the moments uh, you were saying before that we can't, we don't witness bliss. We are bliss. And so in that moment, you both were. When I told my friends not to witness my performance as Circe, I was, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I didn't have the witnesses there. I, and I didn't need them because I only needed myself to be in that moment. Right. So it's just, I'm, and like you said, curious about other people's stories. So as we tell ours, you know, we keep saying this, or we are beginning to say this more and more that the aim is to find that universal collective peace in our individual stories so that we can remember that we're not so as separate as we think, and maybe, maybe not separate at all in any meaningful way. So, you know, our email is really, really simple. It's anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. And we really, really would love for you to send us your stories. You know, we like Teresa said on the last um, episode, we would love to be out, be, begin to read other people's stories in addition to ours to fill out and to, you know, create space in between our stories. And so please send them and let us know if you absolutely do not want us to read them. Let us know if you definitely do let us know. At some point, we expect we won't be able to read everyone's stories. This is the intention we're putting out there so just be clear and let us know and um you know say hey i'm looking forward to reading them either way whether we are going to read them publicly or you'll just share your voice it is really exciting to know that we can have additional voices you know even if we're reading them it's still your voice your story so yeah that really makes me feel great i think we might need to do a practice i think, think i was are you surprised to hear I was thinking the same thing? <laughs> I'm not. We are really, really sick. You know, <laughs> so a moment of bliss. I'm going to, I'm going to, before we go into that, I just want to share one more moment of bliss and what that feels like and how that experience is. So as you know, we've told a little bit of our story of how Sherry and I came to creating this podcast. So here's my transformation to bliss. So early on, Sherry told me, hey, there's this new app called Boxing. And it's like having a walkie-talkie in your hand. We can talk to each other and share our thoughts, share our notes. And my initial thought is, oh, I have another app I have to figure out. And oh my goodness, there's one more thing I have to do or figure out how it works. And it kind of felt like, oh, it's going to be so difficult. But now I hear the of the box. Sometimes it's first thing in the morning. And I know that as soon as I hear that sound, Sherry's going to come in and she's going to have something to share with me. Uh, our thoughts for the day, a blissful idea of um, 
how to connect with you, our our listeners, how to bring you onto our podcast. Um, just these inspirational moments where I hear, and I know in just a second, Sherry's going to share whatever her musings are, whatever her thoughts are, or she might just be boxing me to say something like, oh, well, you've heard Sherry talk. She'd probably be saying something like, Teresa, good morning. I fucking love you today. <laughs> I do. And that's how I wake up. <laughs> mm. So let's go on from there. We are ready for a practice. Mine is going to be um, kind of real simple because I really think that bliss is a felt sense. It's hard to put into words. It might be hard to lead a specific practice. So I'm going to ask that maybe you just take your seat. And I know that over these, well, we're on episode five, but we refer to the mindfulness of taking a seat. So if you this is you happen to find us in this very first, this is your first podcast and your first time with us, we'll take that seat with intention. We'll be allowing ourselves to have our feet flat on the earth. If you're sitting in a chair, maybe really noticing all the parts of the body that are connected and grounded to that hard surface beneath you. Maybe you're on the floor, or maybe you need to take a pause if it's available to you right now, wherever you're listening, and find your connection. Take a moment to take your seat, if you can. And as the tailbone roots down into the earth, notice what that sensation is. Tap into your experience of feeling nurtured nourished and rooted. And then we allow for the uprightness of the spine, feeling all of the energy in the front body rising up into the air, up into the ethers. So we have this ascending energy in the front of the body, in the front of the spine lifting and this co-balancing energy in the back body, which is the energy of rooted defension. So the shoulders rest back and down softly, but with engagement. Maybe you find yourself sitting in this sphere where you're Posture, your seat becomes effortless. As the front of the body ascends and the back of the body descends. And allowing each of the fingers to find their partner on the opposite hand. So thumb to thumb. And each of the fingers, we mindfully let the tips of the thumbs touch the first finger, the middle finger, the ring finger, 
and our little finger, the pinky, each of the fingertips touching as if you're holding this globe of energy, this globe of sensation. We feel the unity and balance between our left and right, our male and female. Take a nice deep breath in and a nice slow releasing exhale out. So this, this kosha um, can be accessed through practices of selfless service, can be accessed through meditation and contemplation. It can be accessed through experiences where we get I'm going to put loose quotes around the word lost because it's not really lost. In some ways, it's more found, but it's that feeling of release, of surrender, and of not choosing that, of being that. And so, as you, I'm going to take you through a, a practice ish, but the the offer is to be of service, do something outside yourself. I mean, right now we're recording this during the 2021 holidays. And so Christmas is coming, New Year's is coming, Hanukkah's passed. We've got, you know, that swirling energy of generosity of this time of year. And this, this sheath asks us in some ways to extend that time of year to the rest of the days. So whatever you can and whatever you can do is enough. Yeah, I think sometimes we put too much of that on ourselves to, I'm not doing enough for others. I'm not doing enough. You know, do enough for yourself and do enough for others. It, it just, it's one thing can be enough. So don't, don't stress yourself out about it. This is our fifth episode. And this is the final one of this season that is just going to be Teresa and me talking about the, the koshas and moving through them. And starting at the next episode, we have guests. So in this feeling of completion of, you know, circular energy, I'm going to back up to episode one and how um, the practice offered there was a chant. And the chant was Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu, which means may all beings be happy and free. And for more on that, for more teaching on that, you can go back to episode one if you haven't listened to it. I talk a little bit more about it. But for this purpose, this full circular energetic purpose, we've gone through these layers and worked to kind of come into integration and were done. I mean, it is work. It's, it's effort to do this, to do these practices. So to, to finish this first five out with that same mantra, but maybe it means something a little bit different. This connection to all beings, all beings can be an overwhelming idea. You know, there are certain things that keep me up at night, like this concept of beginningless time. Don't even get me started. But this, all, this concept of all beings can also be overwhelming. And it can feel like, wow, I just, it can be a little bit more simplified if we think that we are all beings. And that we are connected in that way that this feeling of separation, as we learned last episode, is an illusion. So as we chant Loka Samasta Suki no Bhavantu today, after you take your seat, maybe, and if you're driving, doing something else, you can still chant. 
And for some people who sing, vibration is the place where that feeling of oneness, beingness, being in bliss is effortless. For some, the thought of singing brings up other things. So just think of this as a chant. And um, I'm going to do a different tune this time to kind of bring us out of, to give something fresh. It's a little more droning. So I'm going to chant it three times. You can join in whenever you wish. And we'll end with an om. Maybe you can take your hands to your legs or you can bring them to your heart space, one hand on top of the other, or in a prayer position with your hands touching each other, thumbs to the heart. However you wish to connect to your center, do that. I'm going to take a deep breath in and you may join me. Loka samasta sukino bhavantu. Loka samasta sukino bhavantu. Loka samasta sukhino bhavantu. Oh, I ran out of breath there. <laughs> oh. find your bliss and don't try to hang on to it recognize it love it enjoy it and move on it's coming back around <laughs> well thanks for sharing your bliss at the end of that <laughs> well it's rare that you come out of a mantra with laughter usually we sit and, and like linger in the vibration but the laughter just added a whole new level of vibration to that <laughs> here we are back at uncontrolled laughter <laughs> and every time you try to stop you just you can't it's that may be part of that too oh my goodness thank you universe for bringing all of that in oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> well that is a wrap for the first five you know this time that we had by ourselves together um and i am so so looking forward to next episode and talking with shauna Taking our Shauna time. Ahern. Shauna Ahern, yes. Shauna Ahern will be here on our next episode. We'd please join us. We come to the end of the first half of the first season of Anecdotal Anatomy. For the second half, we are thrilled to announce that we'll have guests to add their voices, experiences, and stories to the casual conversation. We'll be starting from the energy of the first sheath, Anamaya Kosha, moving through them again, but this time with new perspectives fewer definitions, and more discussions. First up is Shauna Ahern, whose mission and passion is to guide people to understand that they can rewire their brains for more joy. You may know Shauna as the gluten-free girl. She wrote the world's first gluten-free food blog, which attracted a huge online community. She's a writer, teacher, and lifelong believer in people. She and her husband, Dan, have authored three cookbooks, one of which was honored with a James Beard Award. Join us for what is bound to be an interesting, joy-filled conversation. Our mission 
is to create community and connect through our individual and collective stories. Share your stories, questions, and musings on our Facebook and Instagram under Anecdotal Anatomy, or email us your stories at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. We may read your story on air someday. Swing by our YouTube channel for all of our teasers and other video content as it grows. Thank you for listening. Please keep the love flowing by clicking like, follow, subscribe, and please share this podcast with your people. Original music is composed and performed by Keith Kenny. Episodes are produced and edited by Judith George. A shout out to our photographer, Cindy Fatsis, whose eye and talent are also a part of our story. We are your hosts for Anecdotal Anatomy, and she is Sherry Sadoff-Hank. She is Teresa Tobin-Macy. See you next time. <laughs>